Welcome, everyone, to As for Me and My House. We're glad that you or you and your household can join us today. If you have your study sheet in front of you, you know that we are looking at Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 26 um, in this time together. So we thought we would start off with a little bit of self-reflection. You know, if you're at home, um, let's all ask ourselves right now in this very second, living is fill in the blank. Living is what? Uh, How would you answer that right now in your life? Uh, What are you most passionate about? Even today, what are you dreaming about? What What are you in love with? What's getting you out of bed in the morning? Is it making money? Is it landing that dream job or that dream relationship? Is it being pandemic free so that you can go out and shop and travel and dine as you wish? You know, none of these things are, are bad things. In fact, some of these things can be stewarded to God's glory. But the reality is none of those things are ultimate things. And uh, today, as we get into our study, we want to see that we want to spend our lives on, on things that not only matter right now, but will matter for a billion years to come. Mm. So what will you live for? What will you die for? Mm. These are the kinds of questions that will come up in our study. So as we return in our study in Philippians, we see the ultimate ambition. And once again, it's the Apostle Paul. He's blazing the trail for us. And what we see is that he is living for Christ. He is living for the gospel. That's his ambition. And as we look at this today, uh, by God's grace, we want our lives to resonate with this and be shaped by this as well. So Paul, we know that he was a man on a mission He traveled to all the major cities in the Roman Empire in order to preach the gospel. Major cities like Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth, Athens, and more. He wanted to reach these big cities with the gospel because it meant that those big cities would have an influence on their surrounding regions. So here was Paul's dream. Um, It's okay to have dreams in life. And Paul's dream was to reach Rome. I mean, that was the big one. This was the big kahuna. He wanted to get to this most important city, the center of the Roman Empire. It's a million million people. It's where the emperor was, his home and his palace. It really was the center of the universe at that time. And Paul's thinking that if he can penetrate Rome with the gospel, imagine the ripple effect that it will have in the whole known world. I mean, talk about ambition, right? Mm-hmm. Talk about having big plans for, yeah. big plans for life. Uh, talk about strategy. Uh, here we see the mind of Paul. Talk about courage. Uh, what a model that Paul is uh, for us to, to shoot for the stars. So Paul wanted to go to Rome. And he did go to Rome. But here's the twist. He didn't go there as, uh, didn't go there really as a preacher, mm. did he? Uh, not, in the, not in the full sense. So, uh, Lauren, I'm going to have you pick up the story here. But in verse 12, as we begin, it, Paul, Paul starts off like this. He says in verse 12, I want you to know what has happened to me. Something happened to Paul. So, Lauren, would you pick up the story? Sure, yeah. Uh, going back to Acts 21, we see that Paul is headed to Jerusalem to deliver a gift of money to the poor Christians there. But it isn't long before unbelieving Jews want him dead. He eventually appears before two governors and is sent to Rome Like you said, Brent, not as a preacher, as was his dream, but as a prisoner. You can read about this whole journey in Acts 21 to 28. And when Paul gets to Rome, 
We believe this is what is recorded in Acts 28. He is placed under house arrest, where he is staying in a house chained to a Roman guard 24-7. So eating chained to a Roman guard, sleeping chained to a Roman guard, and writing chained to a Roman guard. In fact, he wrote this letter from Rome to let the Philippians know how he was doing. So how is Paul yeah, doing? So that's just it. This is, this is really the essence of the letter. He's telling them how he's doing in his circumstances. And uh, I mean, how would you be doing, Lauren? I mean, uh. you at home, like how would you be doing? Um, you know, some of us are struggling with just being at home during this, you know, coronavirus pandemic, but we can really still do everything we want to do mm. for the most part. Um, but we're not, we're not in chains. How, how is Paul doing? Well, what's so surprising and amazing is to see that Paul is actually doing quite well. Uh, Paul is very joyful, we find, in these in these verses. Now, how in the world is Paul um, doing this? Uh, how is he so full of joy? And, and the answer is because he has filled in the blank the right way. Hmm. His um, to live is what has been filled in uh, in the best way it could be filled in. And it's making all the difference in every circumstance of his life. Um, it's because of his gospel ambition. Hmm. Um, living is all about Christ. Living is all about the gospel. And it, it, it can overcome any of these obstacles and challenges in his life. So let's look at this. Um, from a human perspective, we would say Paul is not doing well. From an eternal perspective, he's doing very good. He says in verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Here's why he's doing well. What's happened to him has served, has really served to advance the gospel. Notice that Paul in his uh, trials, uh, we don't hear complaint. Hmm. We hear confidence. Um, Because of the progress of the gospel, the advance of the gospel, um, I, I, that's a really neat word, how it says this progress of the gospel, the advance. It's, it's actually like a military term in the Greek. It, it, it's this idea of the army advancing and, and taking new territory, um, uh, you know, pioneering and advancing, marching through territory. And what we are seeing here from Paul is that when we have a gospel ambition, no matter what hard place we are in life, God can use it to advance his word, his gospel in every situation. Um, This is meaningful for us today. Hmm. It it means that as a believer in Christ, you could be in a hard situation, maybe a difficult marriage, maybe a significant loss of a job or a loved one. And if we have a gospel focus, the Lord can use that. He can use any situation. Um, and and, And Paul's saying, I want you to know this is true for me. And I want to strengthen you so that you know that this can be true for you as well. And so he is updating them, wanting them to stand up in the same way. So now we see how the gospel is advancing. And uh, Lauren, will you just read verse 13 for, for us here? Just uh, read that out and then we'll comment on that. Verse 13. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So the first way we see the gospel advancing is he's talking about um, this imperial guard. Paul was chained, as you mentioned, Lauren, to a guard day and night. Probably this meant there was 18 inches between them on this chain. And uh, these guards would have been uh, changed and rotated 
uh, on a regular basis. So probably dozens of different guards or soldiers um, were attached to Paul at one time. Now we think Paul is the the one who's captive, but here's the (laughs) irony of the gospel. Uh, The captive audience is not really Paul, it's his captors. Um, Paul couldn't escape from them, but they couldn't escape from him, from him either. They couldn't escape from his witness. Paul has a new congregation with every shift, and you know Paul was sharing Christ with them. And so... Yeah, he has the opportunity to preach the gospel daily to these soldiers. These are Caesar's best, the most elite guards in the empire. These guards carried the message back to Caesar's palace, and many people came to believe. These guards went where Paul could never have gone into Caesar's own household. We know that people in Caesar's household have come to believe because at the end of the letter, Paul says in chapter 4, verse 22, all the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. In our mind mind and plans, the best use of Paul would be preaching to thousands, but God's ways don't always make sense to us. It is actually through chains that the gospel advances. Yeah. Yeah, how true. God's ways don't always make sense to us. Mm. And yet we see the Lord has a very amazing purpose in all of this. Mm-hmm. And, and so the gospel is advancing um, outward um, in, in this, in this uh, prison and in, amongst these guards. Um, but Paul also now comments on a second way the gospel is advancing. And this is in verse 14. And this now we see is the gospel is, you know, Paul's chains, his imprisonment, is also having a gospel advancing effect inside of the church as well. Verse 14 says, and most of the brothers, so the brothers, that's, you know, brothers and sisters in the Lord, most of the brothers uh, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Uh, so there's the other Christians that are in Rome and they're seeing what's happening to Paul. They're, they're hearing what's happening to Paul. And the effect on them is they're becoming more bold, more courageous to tell others about, about Jesus. It's, uh, Paul's chains are inspiring them, um, motivating them. Hmm. And, um, you know, we would think it might have the opposite effect. Somebody's being imprisoned for Jesus and hmm. we might shrink back, mm-hmm. but it's not. It's actually inspiring them. And uh, we do see that in church history. Mm-hmm. When the church is persecuted, the people in that area, uh, their faith becomes emboldened. Mm. And so, um, verse 14, they're trusting in the Lord. They're confident in the Lord. Um, it, this, this is the idea of like Paul's, um, what's happening to Paul is, is catching fire mm. in, that, in that area. Yeah, we see amazing things in these introductory verses. We see that one believer on fire for God can embolden thousands to bear witness for Christ. You know, think of the impact of one life fully given to the Lord for his purposes. It can make more of an impact than we can possibly comprehend. Just one person. What could the Lord do through you if you were fully given to him at his disposal for his purposes alone? You know, this happened with Paul at Rome. It happened with Martin Luther in Germany, George Whitfield, Charles Spurgeon. I once read that one man or woman lit up for God has the capacity to put steel into the backbone of countless believers who live, work, and witness around them. Mm-hmm. So, so what we're seeing, Lauren, and everyone is that, you know, without, without Paul in chains, the church in Rome would actually be much weaker mm. in their evangelism. Mm-hmm. It's having a strengthening effect. 
And uh, kind of like what you alluded to, Lauren, you know, when, when you or I, uh, like when you speak up for Christ, there are others in our, in our church circle that are going to be encouraged to do the same. Hmm. And so for, for all of us at home here, um, we need to speak up for Christ. We need to be like Paul in this sense and realize that as, as you do that, there are going to be others watching and noticing you. And, uh, and, and it's going to have an effect uh, on them. And there's another application here as well, um, which is true for us. That, that it also shows that we need to be around these people. Hmm. Um, if we're feeling like weak in our faith today, we need to be around the people that are bold for Christ, uh, who are loving and wise and courageous in their evangelism. And it, it can rub off on you. Uh, I know that's been true in my life when I've been around people that are just bold and evangelistic, how hmm. it's uh, affected me. Yeah. Well, Paul shows us that what's happened to him is serving to advance the gospel. We might think that suffering and hardship are barriers to God's purposes, but often they are the very means that God uses to spread the gospel. So we see Paul's confidence. It needs to be our confidence as well, that every difficulty, every setback, every opposition, the Lord can use to further his kingdom as we proclaim the gospel. So what are your difficulties today? Uh, where are you today? Is it no school? Is it no work? No health? No graduation? Mm. Uh, God can use all of these things if we have a gospel ambition. You know, there's another effect. We shouldn't glance over this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, think about Paul being in prison and the other greater good that's coming out of this. Yeah. Paul wrote four prison epistles mm. while he was there. We're reading one of them, Philippians. He also wrote Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon. So, um, it's, it's yeah. yeah, it's pretty amazing, right? And God has done similar things throughout history. Paul's story reminds me of John Bunyan's story. Right. Uh, Bunyan was a great preacher that was put into the Bedford jail to silence him, but he kept preaching sermons at the top of his lungs that came over the prison walls and people would gather outside just to hear him preach. They finally silenced him by putting him inside the jail where nobody could hear his sermons which gave him the time and freedom to write Pilgrim's Progress, a book that has preached to millions generation after generation. In the same way, as you were saying, Brent, Paul's imprisonment allowed the gospel to go into places it otherwise would not have gone, and he wrote the prison epistles that minister and strengthen the hearts of countless Christians Christians on a daily basis. Yeah. By the way, um, this isn't in our notes, but if you at home, if you have not ever read Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, Mm -hmm. It's a must-read. We would encourage you to read that, uh, read that sometime soon. But this is how Paul can have joy, because um, he may be chained, but the gospel cannot be chained. Mm-hmm. And uh, when when the gospel is everything and it can't be chained, um, it, you, you can't be stopped. And, um, and and now we see another we see another hardship that Paul is facing mm-hmm. while he's in prison. There's something else that's happening in this text that we now will see that could throw Paul off in his mission. It could, it could take away his joy. And what's, now what's peculiar about this is that this is something that's happening not outside of the church, but inside the church. Mm-hmm. In these next verses, verses 15 through 18 of chapter 1, we see that Paul is facing criticism, and this is coming from inside of the church. It says there, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, 
but others from goodwill. Um, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Paul's talking about two groups of Christians now here in Rome. Um, two kinds of evangelists. There's these envious evangelists and, who are full of uh, jealousy toward Paul and ill feelings. And then there's these empathetic evangelists who have these pure motives. So, Lauren, this is this hits home, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this idea of jealousy, envy, and strife. Uh, we want to reflect on this for, for a minute here as it's in our text. Yeah. You know, you expect the Bible-denying world to be malicious, but it's, it's a deeper and harder blow when those in the church slander others that know and love Christ. These men are preaching the true gospel, but with very sad motives. Their theology is not off. They are preaching the truth, but it's with jealousy and envy in their heart. Since Paul is no longer the top dog dog preaching, they they want to take the spotlight. They want to be noticed. They are envious and want to build up their own name. And these are brothers in the Lord. Isn't it sad how this can manifest itself even in the church? Yeah. And, um, and it's serious because this could um, throw the mission off. It's mm-hmm. gonna, if Paul succumbs to this, his joy will be drained. Um, this could cause divisions among the Christians in Rome. And here's the thing, this, this envy and rivalry, we know, like this can happen to any of us at any time. Um, I think we've all uh, had to deal with this in our lives. Uh, somebody else has an advantage over you. Um, Maybe it's at work or somehow in the ministry or among your friendship group. And envy settles in. Hmm. Yeah, and all through the Bible, we see the devastating effects of jealousy and envy with Cain and Abel, Joseph and his brothers, Moses and his sister and brother, Saul and David, Daniel and his co-workers, the Jewish leaders and Jesus. James 3.16 says, where we find selfish ambition and envy There you find disorder and every kind of evil. Or in other translations, it says every vile practice. And in Proverbs 14.30, we get the imagery that this envy rots our bones. So we see it's not to be taken lightly. We must guard our hearts against this. Yeah, guarding our hearts against it. um, We realize that this is a major tactic of the enemy. Hmm. Uh, if, if, if Satan can't corrupt your heart with money or sexual sin, uh, he will probably try this. And what we see is that when envy moves in, love moves out. And so, uh, have you experienced this in your life? Um, uh, are you experiencing this today? Um, what were the consequences? What will the consequences be? Nobody wins when envy and rivalry set in and God is calling us to fight this. Mm. And, and here again, we have Paul as the example for us. Paul model, models how to overcome this, this tactic of the enemy. So what is Paul's response? As these men, they're preaching the true gospel, by the way. It's mm-hmm. the true message, but their mm-hmm. motives are wrong. Mm-hmm. But what is Paul's response to these men with their envy and rivalry? Um, these guys that want to afflict Paul while he's in prison. Well, what we see is that Paul's response is rejoicing, Hmm. Um, not over their behavior, but he is rejoicing that even in the midst of this, the gospel is being proclaimed. Verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, 
And in that, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Mm. Even when Paul is in, uh, thrown into prison, even when others are turning against him, even when his good name is being slandered, Paul was rejoicing. Why? Because Christ is being proclaimed. Uh, just note in those verses of eight, uh, those last three verses there, uh, Paul mentions Christ being proclaimed three times. Mm. This is what matters to Paul. Christ is being proclaimed. And so um, I don't know about you, Lauren, but like this is a huge lesson in humility mm. as we watch Paul do this. Paul mm-hmm. is humble. Yeah. Yeah. We see his humility. We see his self-forgetfulness. He doesn't pity himself that others are trying to win applause at his expense. Here we see that Paul's name, his personal glory, have nothing to do with his ministry. His one desire is that Christ be known, whether he does it or others, even if others do it out of wrong motives. He doesn't care if his name is slandered. Jesus' name is not. The gospel is still being preached, and he cares more about God's reputation than his own. So that's really simply amazing. Paul is a man who shows us what it looks like to think about God and others first. So what, so what we're seeing, right, Lauren, is that the way, so how do we overcome jealousy in our lives? And, and the way that we overcome wicked envy is, is by being more concerned for Jesus's glory than our own, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and that, again, when we have this ambition, when we have this focus that Christ and the gospel is everything, everything else fades in the background. And so do I care more about my reputation or the Redeemer's reputation? Mm. That needs to be our prayer, that it's, it's about the Lord's reputation and not mine. Um, if it's about me, if it's about you at home, um, we're going to be thrown off of our mission. Our joy is going to be stolen. Uh, this is why we must stay focused on Christ and the good news of the gospel. So um, let's learn from this. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one, don't be a critic. And number two, don't be dragged down by one. Mm. Uh, when Christ is our focus, neither of those things need to be true in our lives. Mm. So we've seen Paul's confidence in the gospel advancing. We've seen him overcome his critics, um, again, by a gospel ambition. Mm-hmm. And now we see in these next verses his inner conflict. Um, there's something stirring in Paul's heart. Um, but he, And this is his deliverance mm-hmm. from prison. Mm. You know, obviously you're thinking about that when you're in prison. And Paul seems to know that he will be delivered. And uh, so what are the things that Paul uh, points to that, that affirms him in his, his deliverance? Yeah, verse, chapter 1, verse 19 says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So the two things that we see that will, that will result in his deliverance are these human prayers ascending and the divine help of the spirit of Jesus descending. So human prayers have a real impact. God truly hears the prayers of his people and they have a vital impact on people and even situations. This should be an encouragement to us. No matter what we may be going through, the spirit of Jesus offers true and real help. And the reality that he hears our prayers and can do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think this should encourage us greatly to, to persevere and to pray. Right. So Paul uh, obviously believed in the sovereignty of God. Mm-hmm. And yet we see him here, though, knowing that the means that God uses is the prayers of his people. Mm-hmm. He says, your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Christ. We shouldn't just assume that the Holy Spirit 
It's going to, um, you know, we, we need to know that our prayers are a part of this, to, to have the presence of the Holy Spirit working on our behalf. And like you said, Lauren, the application here is let's ask others to pray for us mm. and let's pray for others. Yeah. Yeah. And Paul has great joy in his certainty that his circumstances will result in his de- deliverance. He will regard either execution or release from prison as deliverance because he eagerly expects and hopes that Christ will be exalted in his life or in his death. He says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Yeah. So what does that mean to, when Paul says um, to live is Christ? Like that's again, one of these phrases, verses that are on a coffee mug. Yeah. Let's talk about that. You go ahead. Yeah. I love this verse. Paul is saying his life is all about Jesus. He wants to know Christ more, to imitate Christ more, to preach Christ more and to enjoy Christ more. You know, we were created by Jesus and for Jesus and, and his reason for existing is pointing to Jesus. Paul gives us a right perspective on life and death. It is not for me to live as a nice house or family or vacations or the perfect job. These are not bad things in themselves, but they are not ultimate things. To live is Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says that Christ died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. So we are not to live for ourselves. We think true joy will come by focusing on our wants and desires, but that will never satisfy. When we live for Christ and his purposes, we can know true joy and true life. An unwasted life is living in Christ and it's living for Christ. And it just makes me remember when I first came to Christ at age 20, I was so thankful that God saved me at a young age. You know, sure, I wasted my teenage years, but I was so thankful that I had not wasted my life, that he had given me many years to live for him, commune with him and serve him. This is a great privilege. I get to live to exalt him, to magnify him by showing that he is a better treasure than anything the world has to offer, that Christ is enough. C.S. Lewis once wrote, he who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. So that's really good for us to dwell on. Yeah, this is really what Paul's pointing at. And I love in this, in this verse um, where it says to live is Christ. Um, you know, as we studied that this week, it, what, you, what you find is that word is, right? So to live is Christ. Mm. That word is, is actually not in the original um, text. Uh, it's actually supplied in our Bibles just for readability. Mm. So the actual uh, rendering of that phrase is, is this. For to me, to live... Christ. There's no is. For me to live, Christ. Hmm. It's almost as if Paul didn't want one little word, this is word, in between him and Christ. Hmm. They didn't want any barrier at all. And so um, the, the Christian's life is all found in Christ. Christ is our life, Colossians 3, 4. Um, so can we say that today? Hmm. Can we say that Christ is my single focus in life? Um, we, we know we battle that. We know we let other distractions come into our lives, but we need to be reminded that this truly is life. Mm. When we fill in the blank, um, to live is, is Christ. Mm. Paul also says, though, as he, the other half of this phrase is, to die is gain. Mm. And uh, once again, that word is, is only supplied there for our readability in our Bibles. Um, so it should say, to die, gain. Um, and here Paul is saying, that, that to die, to, if you, to live for Christ then, 
and to die then for Christ is gain. Mm-hmm. It's great profit. Paul understood that death will graduate him to glory. Um, for the Christian, here is a graduation that cannot be canceled. Mm-hmm. Here is one that uh, will be the best graduation uh, to glory. And so for the Christian, this is beautiful to think on and really important for us um, to dwell on, no matter what age we are, even as we're younger. Mm. We need to know that for the Christian, death is not a tragedy, but it is a triumph. Mm. Uh, the grave is a servant to bring us to Christ. It's gain, not so much because of streets of gold, but because, because Christ is there. Yeah. No, it's not about pearly gates or streets of gold. Uh, this is amazing. Paul has an incredibly optimistic perspective. To die is to be closer to Jesus. To die is to receive more of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Christ is so much better, so dying is gain. This is how you exalt Christ in your dying, by counting death as gain, because you get to be with Christ. We see here that Paul believes that he will be with Jesus in his presence as soon as he dies. He is facing execution, but he has no fear because he knows he could be seeing Jesus face to face. You know, this is what frees people that suffer persecution all around the world. They know they don't need to fear death because they will be ushered right into the presence of God. There is fear of death for the unbeliever, but for the Christian who has made Christ their life, their love, and their treasure, there is nothing to fear. So on the one hand, he, gets, he gains Christ, and on the other hand, he leaves behind life's hardships. So we see it's gained for him also because he will be free from all temptations. He would be delivered from all his enemies. There would be no cruel Nero, no blaspheming Jews, no false brothers, no more suffering, no more shipwrecks, no more being beaten with rods or being stoned. He leaves all this behind, and he gets to be with his Lord and King, whose love is better than life. Yeah, so if you live for Christ, your, do- your death will be gain. The opposite is true. If you live for something other than Christ, your death will be loss. And, uh, and what we see with Paul is, uh, as he's contemplating these things in his, in his prison, um, it, it's a dilemma. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know which to choose, to live for Christ or to die and be with Christ. Mm-hmm. It, it's a dilemma. And it's a healthy dilemma. Mm-hmm. It should be the dilemma of every Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, to, to stay and, uh, and serve Christ or to, or to go home and be with Christ, mm-hmm. where, where Christ has been pre- preparing, preparing a place for us in heaven, John 14, 2 to 3. And so um, Paul says in verse 22, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet... What shall I choose? I cannot tell. That's the dilemma. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My my desire is to depart, to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is far more necessary for your account. Yeah. So there's a reason that God doesn't take us up to heaven the moment we believe. It's because he has work for us to do Mm -hmm. on earth. And God has work for Paul to do. And it will be fruitful work, work that would impact the eternity of countless people. This reminds me of so many missionary stories I have heard where the missionary might be in danger, but they affirm to others that they are confident that they will live because they know that God has more work for them to do. Yeah. And what we're really seeing is Paul is in this tension of, um, do, you know, what do I prefer? Hmm. Is, it what, was it what I really want? You know, is it what's best for me? Hmm. To, be with, to be with Christ would be gain. It'd be better for me. 
um, or shall I uh, hope for what is best for others? Mm. Um, and that's really what we see Paul leaning toward here is that he wants to do what is best for others. Yeah. And this is really the same dilemma that you and I are faced with every day. Um, will we do what is best for us hmm. or it, will we do what is more necessary for those around us? Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day here, uh, Paul uh, yields to what is more necessary for the good of others in the advancement of the gospel for those around him. He concludes it's better to remain for their sake. And so, Lauren, could you just read maybe those verses again uh, in verse 24, 25? Yeah. Verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. We see here that Paul is convinced that he will not be executed, but that he will work with the Philippians again for their progress and joy in the faith. We see there is always progress to be made in the faith and always more joy to experience. Brent, you were just talking about that word earlier, prokope, for the advancement of the gospel, and that was an external advancement. And the one talked about here is the internal advancement of the gospel. It's the progress that is internal. This progress is our sanctification or our growth in godliness. He wants them to know Christ. He wants them to grow up in Christ, and their joy will overflow. We can all probably point to people in our lives who have helped us move forward in our faith at different times. And this is what Paul's desire is, to help them find joy in pursuing Christ and in growing into the image of Christ. Yeah, well, what we're seeing is that Paul has a pastor's heart. Mm-hmm. He has a shepherd's heart, a minister's heart. And it really is the same heart that you know we all want to have, whether we're a pastor uh, this is a mature heart, mm-hmm. a mature believer, mm-hmm. one that is saying, I, I want to pour out myself for the good of others around me. Mm. Um, I, I hope we're inspired by that in Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that we want that to be our heart as well, that we want to see the growth and the joy of the people uh, in the Lord ar- around us and, and serve them. Uh, this is Paul's all about their sanctification, um, about their godliness, that they result in joy. What we're really seeing today here um, is that we, we see just this single-hearted focus of Paul, mm. right? He has this gospel ambition, mm-hmm. a Christ ambition. Um, God, God's glory is more important than his own glory. And this is driving him to be joy, and, and it's proving for him to be joyful in any circumstance. And so um, we want this to be our ambition as well. We want this to be the blank that we fill, to fill in the blank, that to, to live as Christ, um, to stay focused on the gospel. Uh, let that be our prayer today. Um, if we're going to have anything else fill in that blank, um, we're going to, essentially, we're going to like miss the purpose of our lives. And we're not going um, to have a lasting, deep joy that God can provide. Well, let us have a gospel ambition Let's pray for that today. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we want to thank you again for this text. We thank you that you have used the trials and hardships of your servant Paul to make an incredible difference in this world, Uh, a ripple effect that even comes down to our lives today as we read his letter and are uh, inspired and challenged by it. And so, Lord, we too pray that we would have the same gospel perspective that we would have the same gospel ambition amidst the hardships of life. I know, Lord, that many at home 
are struggling with uh, different uh, things in their lives. And so we pray that you would uh, work in their hearts uh, this perspective and this ambition. Lord, make it our heart that you would be exalted in our lives and, um, and that you would be the greatest treasure. And Lord, we want to pray for all of us, the people of Grace Baptist Church, that our progress and joy in the faith uh, would abound and move forward. We thank you for these things. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us, everybody. So glad that you could be a part of this study. We'll see you again next time. Amen.